And this is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, a podcast on which we discuss the very special episodes of the past to see what they have to teach us today. And our episode upon which we'll be discussing today, (laughs) on which therefore shall be, our episode today is uh, an episode of Perfect Strangers at last. There's been some clamoring. (laughs) There's been been some banging of pots outside our windows. (laughs) Perfect strangers, perfect strangers. We just wanted to get in before the pitchforks and torches. (laughs) Um, Perfect strangers, the episode is called Sexual Harassment in Chicago. Uh, This is episode three of season three, originally aired October 7th, 1987, written by Paula A. Roth. It's available, the entire series is available on Hulu. See how much you can watch. (laughs) So Uh, This episode is also directed by Joel Zwick, mm -hmm. who directed My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the movie, and also a ton of TV. Still directing TV. Did a lot of Girl Meets World, some Fuller House, all the way back to like your Jamie Foxx shows and your Family Matters is and your Step by Steps and your Hangings with Mr. Coopers. Oh yes. and your original Full Houses. So this is Hangings like, with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> right. Sorry. So Joel Zwick is like a uh, he is uh, on the Rich Carell level of TV director. I'm not saying he is as yeah. good as or has an interesting oh, you backstory. Saw the, you saw the disgust on my I face. I did. I saw you about to <laughs> stand up and leave the podcast. Good day. But anyway, we're dealing with a heavy hidden director. It's true, and and that right. There's nothing to scoff at, neither. I watched these episodes, and I wrote uh, all my notes while I was heavily sick this weekend. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Totally fine. I'm sorry, because I thought a lot of things were funny that I now know were not funny. Oh, no. But it's like you went back in time to 1987 to watch this episode, then. No, no, no. I mean... The things that I thought to do on our podcast today. Oh, no. Yeah, including a lot of segments. No. I thought, like, a lot of segments no. would be a really funny thing. No, nope. I'll see myself out. Yeah, and I got up this morning and I was like, should I take these out? No, I'm too lazy for oh, that. No. So I bring us to our first <laughs> oh, segment no. called no. You Wrote What? <laughs> no! In which we look back at what else writers have written that may be something to discuss. This is something we already do, Chelsea. Chelsea says we already do. Okay, something all right. we already do. Okay. Cool. So now you wrote what? Paula A. Roth. Uh, Paula A. Roth was also a writer on a show called I'm a Big Girl Now. I'm already terrified. As well, you should be. Uh, she wrote three episodes on the series, created by Susan Harris. Oh, of, of the Golden, Golden Girls. Girls. And uh, Golden Hotel fame. I'm less terrified now. The series is... Dr. Benjamin Douglas is a cantankerous dentist, dealing with life after his wife runs away with his dental partner, while his grown-up daughter, Diana, moves in with him after her own divorce. Oh. Both deal with Diana's young daughter, Becky, and Benjamin's neurotic son, Walter. It's I feel like I read seven or eight pilots from this pilot season that were based on a similar premise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Divorced dad, grown child moves in with. Absolutely. Or uh, mom. It co-starred uh, Martin Short mm-hmm. and famous lesbian Danny Thomas. <laughs> 
Rose, that's Lebanese. <laughs> that's I'm been sorry, our new segment called You Wrote What? <laughs> no. No, before we do any segments or anything else. Too late. I need a snack. Oh, my God, yes. Folks, uh, quite the surprise for you today. It's um, a surprise for me as well. I have no it idea. Is. And, it is. And the presentation is not going to be... It's going to be whelming at best. Well, I brought a cake stand out, so I hope that yeah. will help. Uh, I'm just going to put my tiny Tupperware container on the cake stand. Because today, folks, we have Rocky Road Trip Oreos. Hooray! <laughs> no, 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 no. We have three. Here's the thing. <laughs> My birthday is coming up, and I'm having a party, mm-hmm. and I have talked so much shit mm-hmm. about these mm-hmm. fucking Rocky Road Trip Oreos that part of my birthday party is taking the one bag of Oreos that I got and making them available to friends in a final celebration because I still don't know if these things oh, are wow. coming back. So we're getting, a, we're getting your, pre, your birthday preview Rocky Road Oreos? Yeah, because after my birthday, these things will be gone maybe forever. Andy, thank you oh, so you much. Can a little, no, 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 put it on the cake tray. All right, so I'm going to set these up in a presentational style, which you can see on our Instagram page, which you should follow. That's at Hugging and Learning on Instagram. Check it out. You'll be able to see this masterwork of art. Miles, have an Oreo. Let's, let's eat these things now and reminisce on how overhyped they've been. I really can't but stay. Baby, it's cold I've got to go but away. Baby, it's cold this evening has been, been so very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like my a mother will start to Yeah, believe the hype. They are as good as as remembered. Hey, Oreo company, what's the holdup? Right. You're making the gross ones year-round. Yeah. Make the good ones year-round. There's still fucking carrot cake ones out there. <laughs> At I least this know. tastes like a thing. And you can taste the tiny marshmallows in it. Yeah, man. Uh, now I just want all of them. Yeah. I have to go. Let's soothe ourselves by talking about a goddamn episode of television. Yes. Perfect strangers. Sexual harassment in Chicago. Obviously, the title is a riff on sexual perversity in Chicago, a play by Chicago's favorite son, David Mamet. David Mamet. <laughs> Written in 1974. Yep. Famous misogynist David Mamet. So interesting. He's interesting riff. and a misogynist. <laughs> right. And famous for being a misogynist. And famous for being a misogynist. So interesting riff uh, naming this... This episode after one of his plays. So, yes, uh, but that's where it begins and ends, really. Right. <laughs> they just said, uh, you know what, Chicago, title, we're done. Also, every episode is set in Chicago, but whatever. This episode is season three, so we've got the formula for Perfect Strangers. Oh, yeah, we do. Pretty well down. The show ran for eight seasons, 151 episodes from 1986 to 1993 on ABC. It chronicles the rocky coexistence of Midwestern American Larry Appleton mm-hmm. and his distant cousin from Eastern Mediterranean Europe, Balky Bartakamus, <laughs> who move in together in Chicago. They sort of like start out their young men in their, I guess, supposed to be like 20s, maybe early 20s. I, it seems like it. They if move they to are, Chicago to like start their adult lives together. They look like 30, 40 year old men. They do. And but they have jobs that. That signal entry that, level jobs, and the opening is Larry clearly like leaving his his 
childhood home. Both both of them leaving their childhood homes. Um, so this is an it's an odd couple format. Cousin Larry is uptight and cynical and thinks he knows everything, and Cousin Balky is good-hearted and naive and constantly does not understand American ways of doing things, which makes for a lot of the comedy of the show. He gets a lot of customs wrong, a lot of idiomatic expressions wrong. Yep. Larry is very smug about correcting him, but deep down underneath it all, there's a real uh, bond of kinship. Yeah, you say some of the most of the comedy. It's ninety percent of the yeah, comedy. They it's a good really. Deal hang their hats, their respective comedy mm-hmm. hats on Balky being like, I didn't understand this thing. It's like if Rose were 90% of Golden Girls. Yeah, or if there was a show called Small Wonder where you could do pretty much the same thing. Uh, no, but everybody's a genius on this show. Um, oh, fun fact. Do you know who was originally cast as Cousin Larry Appleton? Take a wild guess. I'm trying to think of a of a good one around this time period. I don't. I don't. I don't. America's think Tom Hanks. No, sadly. America's George Carlin. No, it's really it's a comedian mm-hmm. who was popular at that time. Jerry Seinfeld. No, you did. You're thinking too late. Uh, it was originally going to be Louis Anderson. Oh, weird. Yeah, that would have been so strange. That would have been so weird. The dichotomy between like a really excited <laughs> foreign gentleman and somebody who's like, hey, Bounty. <laughs> hey, let's do the dance of joy. No, I'll do it from my chair. Okay. <laughs> that would have been weird. Sometimes I think I got a decent Louis you, <laughs> impression. You do. Add it to the list. It's up to three now. Mel. Old lady, vaguely Italian guy, <laughs> Louis Anderson. Vaguely Italian guy is so many of my impressions. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this intro. This theme song is, is goddamn uplifting. Uh, standing tall on the wings of my dreams. Yeah. Rise or fall. And it's them running around the... the it's It's... A very common sort of title credits where it's like, here's where everybody started and here's where they are. Look at the wacky adventures we're all in for. We see Balky on a wagon in Mepos oh, yeah. with a sign that says uh, America or Burst. And he's got a chicken. He's holding a chicken. He's holding a chicken. And in his bag, prominently on the top of the bag, is a, just a big chunk of bread. Yeah, I mean, I identify with that. Yeah, I get it too. He's coming to America, Larry coming into Chicago. It's great. And here's a fun fact. <clears throat> um, the second to final shot where it's the, the L train rounding the corner at mm-hmm. Lake and Wabash. Yes. That's... That's where you got in that taxi fight. That's <laughs> where I broke up a taxi fight. I remember I, that now. I was on my way to see, I think, a reading of yours. Of mine, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was on my way there. I was running late because there was an a, a, a Armenian protest in front of my building, and it took a while. So I was walking towards the, the train, and as I'm crossing the street, the guy in front of me gets into the crosswalk and the cab is turning right and it goes, it lurches forward a little bit. Doesn't see him. And it like brushes against his pant leg. Mm -hmm. And this guy who is smiling the whole time like a goddamn psychopath (laughs) walks around to the driver's side, not a word, not a change in expression, and punches the driver's side window, which explodes (laughs) inward like raining glass all over this dude. Immediately, the passengers of this cab get out <laughs> and walk away. And this guy who's done this clearly didn't mean to do it or think that he was capable of yeah, that. Yeah, he was just going to knock on it and like scare the guy. Like, I hate you. Yeah. Meow. 
Uh, that's the sound I think he would have made. But, but he smiling. starts walking away like quickly, and the cab guy gets out. And he's like chasing after them, and they're both those dudes who are like, um, "I don't want to get in a fight, but boy, <laughs> am I angry!" And I better make threatening gestures, but I don't want to fight. And I was on the phone with you, and I was like, "Hey, I'm running late." Oh. I might be super late and you're like what's going on I was like I'm going to do something stupid <laughs> bye and you were like you don't have to come and I was like uh, I, I think you thought I was trying to make an excuse or something like that like oh I'm, I feel sick the t- grand tradition in right. the Chicago playwright community right oh I got a thing oh what happened I broke up a taxi fight alright just say <laughs> okay, you didn't want to go just fine it's fine so yes I stopped uh, I got in between these two guys and just told them to calm down and luckily, horse-mounted police from the Armenian <laughs> protest came by and were able to help. The end. This has been a segment called Sharing a Personal Chicago Story from Chelsea and Andy. All right. So, so uh, what did we learn? We're we in the basement of the Chicago Chronicle, and Balki is sorting mail, and yeah. Larry is doing his job as well, which seems to be that of a sort of like entry-level cub reporter. Maybe? But he's the, not the paper. He's new. Anything. We know he's new. He's new, and he's, his job seems to be just walking around. Walking around. And, and waiting and for opportunities. Tapping a notepad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're in the basement. We know Olivia Crawford, the editor of the Sunday magazine, swans into the office. Good Lord, this. she's played by Holland Taylor, who's been in everything movies, yep. TV. You see her face, you're like, Oh, that woman, she's been in everything. She goes up to Larry and she says, Well, here at the Chicago Chronicle, we have this custom of asking new people to come up with ideas for the Sunday magazine, pitch a feature. Olivia Crawford is the editor of the Sunday magazine. She's the editor, yes. She's the editor of the Sunday magazine. She's a very glamorous older lady, you know, wearing, like, yards more fabric than she actually needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, dyed hair and big Mm. jewelry and, like... And talking in kind of, like, the 1920s reporter style. Yeah, it's a real, like, Gloria Swanson meets Aggie Underwood type of a thing. There we go. Uh, Also, if you don't know who Aggie Underwood is, look her up. Olivia is like, okay, Larry, pitch me some ideas for the Sunday magazine. Get to work. And he falls all over himself. He's like, oh my God, yes, please. This is my big opportunity. I love the Sunday magazine. I love you. I love everything. I just want to, please, this is going to be great. I can't thank you so much for the honor. And she's like, all right, well, go to work. Okay. I have have more fabric to buy. Yeah, exactly. And swaddle myself (laughs) in. Balky, who doesn't know who Olivia Crawford is until Larry explains it, then walks up to her and says, here's your mail. I have mail for you, uh, uh, Miss Crawford. Crawford. And she says, oh, please call me Olivia, darling. And he says, well, if your name is Olivia, darling, this mail is not for you. But also delivered in, you know, of course, a very thick stereotypical Eastern European Mediterranean hybrid accent. It's made up, but I still feel reticent to to be like... Yeah, no, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just informing the listener in case they are unaware. I mean, partially because I want to be sensitive, but also because it's just going to be vaguely Italian when I try to do it. Yep. Hey, here's your mail! No, it's not that at all. It's Um, me, Mario Bartokamus! Oh my god, it's me, Mario (laughs) Bartokamus! A princess is in the chronicle building. <laughs> princess on the other side of the river, south of Loop. Balky uh, is not impressed with her, but she thinks he's very cute and just immediately begins hitting on him, which goes right over his head. Yep. 
does not know that that is happening. Now, that is the ordinary world. We've set it, I mean, it's mostly set up in the theme song. Yeah. And now we have the call to adventure. Olivia has issued a call to adventure for both of them. Mm -hmm. For Larry, on his way to the, quote, big time, if he gets a byline in the Sunday magazine, which is the B-plot, and Balky, who is now an un- Unwitting sexual pawn, which is wow. the A plot of in the this, episode. In this sexual chess game. Yes. Yeah, everybody's everybody's being challenged to whether or not they will stand tall on the wings of their dreams. <laughs> I have this written down here, Chelsea. Another facet of Balky is his unwavering enthusiasm despite not knowing what's happening. He's a real Kimmy Schmidt. Most of the reason I bring this up is because it took me three tries to spell facet. So I feel like you know, now we have that in common. We do. Because it takes me three tries to say it. Yeah. Only when I'm looking at you. Yeah. Except I feel like now it has bled over into other areas of my life, and I just don't use that word because I second guess. No. It's like when in uh, Me Talk Pretty One Day, David Sedaris talks about he lisped so badly as a kid that he just avoided S words. Yeah. So instead of saying rivers, he would say many a river. <laughs> 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 Things like Fantastic. that. Um, okay, so now we're in the special world, and the special world is a world in which Balky is a sexual being, and yeah. Larry is a hotshot reporter. Yes, two things they would never intended never to be. Never intended to be. Well, I mean, the next scene. Okay, so the, we, we're still at the Chronicle. We do a classic, like, fade to black and then fade back up on the establishing shot of the place we are already at. Yep. It's it's a bit later. Uh, Larry is is writing titles, and he's excited about something that he's come up with, and he's he says something like, I'm, oh, I'm great at this. Yep. And I got a headline. He talks to, to Balky. He's like, listen to this headline that I've got. And the title of his headline is, Is Chicago Disappearing? So, you know. Yeah, it's about a, like gentrification light. Yeah, I'm just saying, as a, a wise man once told me, some dreams deserve to die. Larry <laughs> Appleton. <laughs> this isn't good. Is Chicago Disappearing is the worst title. He's going to pitch an article about how all the Chicago neighborhoods are losing their uh, their ethnic character. Yeah. Which maybe as like a white guy who just moved into the city and is probably living in an affordable apartment Fun. in the Ukrainian village or something. Yeah. You're the problem. Yep. You, so maybe this is not, unless you're writing that article from that perspective, I'm the problem. Here's maybe a, this is not your story. So when I moved to Chicago after college, I moved into Wicker Park, mm-hmm. the coolest neighborhood that ever was, mm-hmm. or used to be, before fucking alcohol-laden Taco Bell moved into town. <laughs> now, Wicker Park was done before that Taco so. Bell moved into it, Milwaukee. It absolutely Avenue. was. It was already, like, becoming, like, a weird, fashion-y, yuppie hangout. It's a real Silver Lake. Exactly. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of things to talk about with people in Chicago, especially I was temping at the time, so mm-hmm. it would be, like, the standard is, like, what neighborhood are you in? And then you talk about that neighborhood. And I didn't know anything about Wicker Park except like, man, it used to be a lot cooler out there. And then fucking gentrification. The same month that I had moved into town, an Onion article came out, a little blurb that says, man who's lived in Wicker Park for two weeks already (laughs) complaining about gentrification. Good it job. was fantastic. Good I've never job. felt so seen. Let's let's skip ahead a little bit uh, to to point this out because there are Chicago inaccuracies here. Mm. 
Balky will give his address yeah. as 535 uh, West Wilson Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a place that is one block away from the Montrose Dog Park uh, and is like a field of grass. Yeah. I mean, TV shows always do that. Like a lot of TV shows will give addresses in New York that are like in one or of the other river. Yeah. Like that is a street, but if it, you extended it to that address, you'd sure. be in the middle of the Hudson or something. The exterior shot later on that they show of their apartment, which for the first time in season three, they're using an actual Chicago exterior. Mm. In seasons one and two, they use some uh, downtown L.A. place. Sure. You know, who, who, who knows what Chicago looks like anyway? Uh, only the people that make ER. <laughs> only the people that make <laughs> ER. Uh, the exterior shot is actually 326 Wilson Avenue, which I had to look up the neighborhood because it's too fancy for me to even understand. Uh-huh. It's the Mid-North District. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's where they live. Which for is sure. the richest place in the fucking world. But, Chelsea, you'll yeah. be happy to know it is a quick two miles south of the uh, apartment that you and I both lived in in Boys Town. Aww. Yay. That's a segment called This Took Me Too Long to Figure Out. <laughs> All right, so we're so, in scene two, by the way. Yes. Hey. Olivia shows up, very importantly, on the elevator, which is ferried by elevator operator Harriet Winslow Hooray! in her pre marriage destroying husband emasculating promotion <laughs> job. Yeah. This is maybe, back, when, back when she was still just the elevator operator she's, she and had still, a happy marriage. Maybe she got a raise while she was the elevator operator. No, because she said she was going to be a buyer at some store. When she got that promotion. Is the store maybe adjacent to the elevator? <laughs> it's the embassy store that's in the Chicago Tribune building now. Do you now. know exactly what an elevator <laughs> operator does? Uh, gives a lot of sass. Oh my God, you ain't kidding. So many comments, so much commentary on the people riding the elevator. I feel like it's a really good job for me, actually, yeah. in that way. I mean, you'd be fired right away because this is the real world. And yeah. people are like, hey, can we get rid of that bitchy elevator <laughs> operator? <laughs> the one who like always has a comment. Yeah, yeah. I just need you to operate the elevator. <laughs> right. So Olivia Crawford enters with, you know, dramatic flair again and yeah. very nearly listens to Larry's titles, which is probably a good thing for Larry because <laughs> right. if he, if she heard is Chicago disappearing, I think he'd be just taken out of the building. She makes this pretext about checking in with him about his article, but it's all just a scheme to send him to fetch her keys so yes. she can be alone with Balky. Okay. I would like just to take a moment of appreciation for the way that Holland Taylor is introduced every time we see her in this episode, she never misses an opportunity to like dramatically enter yeah. a room or be revealed. It's There's physical a lot of comedy like, up the wazoo. Uh, sure. It's a lot of like the elevator door opening or another door opening and she is revealed and yeah. she's always like wearing, you know, yards and yards of fabric and just kind of like draped against a wall very dramatically or like mm-hmm. leaning on a door frame, yep. staring into the sort of like up left middle distance just just it's it's a very much like look at me take me in now let us begin our conversation yes now that you know i admire it now yes now that we've appreciated me let's appreciate what i have to say she should have gotten an emmy for those entrances that's truly all, all i'm truly. saying emmy entrance for entrance your emmy. consideration best guest entrance she uh, sends Larry upstairs and dutifully in the sitcom world everyone else just leaves the just office gone. yeah they're like i have somewhere else to be uh, so she's alone with Balky, and Balky is lifting mailbags, which impresses her mightily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trust me, I've lifted some bags. That shit gets attention. <laughs> well, Balky. she's like, oh, Balky, you, you lift those heavy bags so easily. How did you get so strong? And he says, I don't know, lifting sheep, probably. Yeah. And then they begin talking about his former life herding sheep on Meepos, and she's just like, 
pawing him the whole time this is going on and he doesn't really it doesn't really register for him yeah and he has no clue what subtext is of course so he doesn't flirt back but instead ends up talking about like sheep constipation pretty briefly (laughs) sure does Um, which again I get you a lot of looks. Right. But he does mention that he has a tapestry from the old country. And, and apparently Olivia is a hardcore tapestry enthusiast. Yep. So she's like, I'm coming over tonight to see your she, tapestry. To be fair, this is actually a pretty solid joke because most of this episode is like, what did Balky say? That's hilarious. Yeah. Like they're ending scenes. The the jokes that are supposed to be the strongest jokes are just Balky being like, I didn't understand that. <laughs> right. The end. Yeah, by by this time, fucking the audience is Balky drunk, and they don't care who knows it. <laughs> Balky says he has a tapestry. She says, "Oh my goodness, I I love tapestries. I'm gonna be in your neighborhood. I'd love to take a look." And he's like, "That's great." And she's like, "Where do you live?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and good. she takes out a little notepad to write it down. It's, it's pretty good. And so, he starts giving her directions. Yeah, and she starts doing a thing which, uh, shockingly, I don't get. <laughs> she blows on the back of his neck. I've never understood why this is like a come on, because it's creepy. Blowing on necks and ears, it's mm-hmm. like a gross physical ASMR. I don't know. It's it's a good physical comedy bit, though, for this particular scene because Balky of course thinks there's a draft in the room and yeah. he's trying to figure out where it's coming from and he turns around to see where this sudden wind is coming from on the back of his neck and she just kisses him on the lips yep. his eyes remain wide open in a in the universal sign for I did not expect this and I do not consent yeah exactly and then you know based on his expression she's like wait a second let me double down on this <laughs> right. and full on sexually assault him she throws him down on the mailroom table and kisses him some more and he doesn't protest but he also doesn't reciprocate at yep. all and then she's like I'll be at your place around 7 and swans out of the room the audience laugh track going or laugh track or studio audience going berserk yeah let's let's talk about the the problematic audience that we have here let's talk about that, how quickly this audience switches loyalties in this episode they are all over the place. Whose side are you on, studio They're on comedy side. (laughs) No. No. Not acceptable. They're on 80s comedy side. Pick a side. Well, here's the thing is the way the episode goes is she kisses him. There's lots of woos. Mm -hmm. Then she doubles down, throws him on a table, and and mounts him a little bit. Yeah. I mean, just like... There's no getting out of this. No, and the audience is all woos and like thunderous applause. And then she leaves and like the soundtrack has to do like a like uh oh something's wrong here yeah Balky's face is also like uh oh yeah like you really have to telegraph it because the audience is really on board with sexual shenanigans just anything that anything that a nice way to put that makes it makes them laugh they're they think is morally fine there's a commercial break. The Great. next thing that happens is Larry comes downstairs. We're still at the office. Larry comes back and notices that something is wrong with Balky. Balky is still lying on the table looking kind of dazed. I forget. Is the premise of this show that they never met before they moved in together? They're I think cousins. So. Yeah. And so do you remember? I think he shows up at his doorstep and he's like, I'm your cousin. Great. So I will like to say Larry seems very in tune with Balky. As much shit as he gives him, he seems to actually like be very perceptive about changes in Balky's mood and mm. like things that make Balky uncomfortable. And I, I, uh, admire that. Sure. I admire that he's not just like a total jackass and, and like makes Balky the butt of every joke, just 90% Absolutely. of the jokes. So now let's talk about how fucking horribly misguided Larry is in the next yeah, yeah, yeah. single minute. Yes. Balky tries to explain what's happened, but he's unclear about what happened because yeah. he doesn't understand what happened. Yeah. He explains 
that a woman kissed him and Larry's like, Oh wow. It's must, is that that lady from the classifieds? Right. And then, no classifieds. They work at a paper. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Not like, works, a, and not I like was a trying to figure out how female. to like, uh, who works in the classifieds section, section of, of the, the paper. Office. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he says that it's Olivia Crawford and Larry is like, you fucking dummy. <laughs> there is no way uh, an executive woman would ever waste her time on Balky. So well, here's to be fair. He says people like her don't get involved with people like us. He doesn't say you. Yeah. He says us basement dwellers, you know, she would never hit on someone like you or me. Yeah. But I think the, the tone and Larry's Larry, while caring and in tune, which is very true, still, he has he has a higher status than Balky. Yeah, um, I also it think is a it's a real like Golden Girls kind of like intelligence versus emotional intelligence right. thing where Balky's the butt of the jokes but ends up understanding things that Larry can't. Yeah, I also am unclear about Balky's immigration status at this point in season three, which is going to paint this whole thing really, a lot more sinister, especially if the paper is like his visa sponsor. I think I think that's it, because I, I, I seem to remember he becomes a citizen, but not till much later. This power dynamic of this this higher up person at the organization yeah. that also controls your visa, like if you get fired, you lose your visa sponsorship. It's, it's, it's even darker. Yeah. Well, so Larry is like, there's no way an executive would waste her time on people like us. Uh, which brings us to a segment called How Many of This Episode's Problems Do We Have Time to Address? <laughs> Gosh. Uh, that's the end of the segment. Then Balky, <laughs> <laughs> Balky expresses concern, and Larry tells Balky he can take care of himself, noting that he's been with a woman before. He's uh, like, surely, surely the milkmaids were all over you yeah, back in Mepos. You know, so you should be able to ward off a sexual assault. Not ward off. I, don't, I think what he's saying is if she wants to have sex with you, you know how to have sex, right? Like, I think it's more of a, like... You can handle yourself with a woman. I, that was how I read that tone. I had I had taken it a different way. It really depends on, and this is unclear, whether or not Larry understands that it's unwanted or not. I don't think that they've actually established that at this point because Balky's so like, I don't know what's going on. She was kissing me, and then she's coming over tonight, mm. and and I and and he never says in that moment to his cousin. And I didn't, was uncomfortable, and now it's I'm... It's true. And so I think Larry is still thinking he's kind of, like, sh maybe shy, but I don't know. It's just a weird thing. It's problematic. Like, again, it's how many of this episode's issues do we have time to address? It's also sort of like, a lot of times in the real world, when there is a sexual... The beginning of, like, a sexual harassment relationship, there's... Mm. The signs are much more unclear. Yeah. It might be like an inappropriate comment, an inappropriate touch on the hand, an keeping you late after compliment, work. yes. Yeah, not like full on throwing you down on a table and yeah. kissing you. That's pretty straightforward to understand. Yeah, exactly. We'll give it to the episode and, and then maybe Larry doesn't understand. Otherwise, his his approach here is super problematic. Yeah, and I you think Larry doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, also, I think Balky thinks... Maybe part of this is like a cultural difference. I think that's that's how he's approaching it. Is like, he's like I don't maybe get this is how American coworkers treat each other. And as we're about to find out, Balky is a virgin who is mm -hmm. saving himself for marriage, which yes. I think is the first time this ever comes up. Yeah, and Larry says, "Okay, well, if it if it will make you feel better, I will stay home tonight." Yeah, when she comes over. Do you think? Here's my impression of this turn of events, which. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to just introduce here that Balky's a virgin. And I want to think that it's just about 
his misunderstanding of the situation. We're not going to clarify everything because we, we need we need more misunderstandings before mm-hmm. these characters figure out what they should do. Mm-hmm. There's a problem. It gets worse. They figure it out. Right. But I wonder if this isn't isn't a tactic to make it easier to understand that a man's being harassed. I think part of the problematic laughter coming from the audience yeah. is the idea that well, he's not ever actually in danger. You know, like... There's that. She's older, first of all. She's a woman in her 60s, maybe. And she throws him down on the table. And you never think, oh, she's going to rape him and he won't be able to get away. Like, that is never... He is never in danger of being physically overpowered. So I think the audience feels like, oh, well, we can laugh. You know, she's a frail old lady. What's she really going to do? They have to do these things that are so completely unambiguous mm-hmm. because the this is not the power structure that normally occurs on TV or in the real world statistically. We'll talk about statistics later because, of course, I did research. My but question I, to you, though, is do you feel like they've – because, you know, the situation alone is problematic. They've elevated it to like an ideological mm-hmm. imperative as well. Do you feel like that's in response to an idea that – the understanding of the time might be that men can't be harassed. Yes, because men will always want to be having sex, which is a problem. It comes up a lot, especially in um, sexual harassment that takes place in schools. Yeah. Where it's a female teacher and a young uh, teenage boy. And they're like, well, uh, I mean, it's not really sexual assault. It's not really sexual abuse because, of course, he was into it because how could a boy not be into it? Exactly. Very problematic. It is. Uh, and I feel like there's a touch of that here where yeah, it's like, so they're well, like, we make him just, a virgin. Yeah. Like make we him, have to make sure people exactly. know that Balky is not into this, even as a dude. And that's how we end our act. Larry's right. like, I'll stay home and, and, and watch over the situation. Right. Great. Commercial break. So now it's nighttime. We're in their apartment and Olivia comes over once again, knock on the door, open the door. She's leaning against the door frame in like, sequined black pantsuit staring up seductively. But of course, Larry is the one who opens the door. So she kind of like has to adjust really quickly her seductive pose. This blouse and pants and slacks ensemble is definitely from the Dorothy's Bornet collection. Oh my God. Yes, it is. Just make those pant legs about four inches longer and put B. Arthur in that thing. And you need like 50% more shoulders. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing though. It's somebody's cup of tea because there is a singular in the audience <laughs> of somebody who's just like into it. Yes. Just Here one person just this. woos it right up. When Olivia sees that Larry is in the apartment, she's like, oh, I didn't expect you here. And he says, yeah, we're cousins. We live together. And she's like, okay, well then, in that case, uh, can I just take a quick look at this tapestry? Because I'm in a hurry to get to drinks at the mayor's. You know, yeah. just reestablishing how powerful she is. And um, so then Larry and Balky go out of earshot in the back hallway. And Larry says, see, nothing's wrong. You misunderstood. I'm going to go at ahead and head out to do research at the library and leave you here with her. She clearly wants nothing to do with you sexually. You, you human trash. <laughs> and Balky's like, you're, hey, you're right. Oh, goes Larry. <laughs> and Balky's like, you're right. I just misread. I have so much to learn about American women. I'm and actually, worse than gutta mozzarella. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Whatever that is, no. Gutta mozzarella. <laughs> it's, see, it's worse than that. Larry 
is going to leave and Balky is more relaxed. He's yeah. like, oh, God, of course. I, and they even says to Olivia, I feel like I'm at home with Mama. Yeah. Um, which she, sprays, she does not enjoy. No. Um, she sprays on a ton of perfume. Yeah. Which is ASMR for your nose. <laughs> he, he comes out with the tapestry, shows it off, and explains how it, it depicts the history of Mepos. Another, and, like, comedy goldmine to, to do where yeah. it's the, the explorer who discovered Mepos was an island, was trying to walk to Italy at the time. Almost drowned. There was a tomato famine where thousands and thousands of tomatoes died. Yeah, yeah. Great. Mwah. Yeah, and he gets Just really good. kind of teary talking about the tomato famine while sure the tomatoes died. But now we are approaching the inmost cave. Sure. Olivia and Balky alone in the apartment. Larry's gone. And Olivia just goes in for the kill. She just kind of jumps on him. Problematically, and, though, first Balky apologizes for misunderstanding her mm-hmm. previous sexual assault. He's yep. like, I guess I'm stupid. And she's like, yep. Which rah. would be less upsetting if it had been something a little more ambiguous than yeah. like her throwing him down on a table. He audibly and clearly is saying things like, I do not he approve says, of this. I don't approve of this. I do not want to do this. I where I come from, people wait until marriage to do this, and and she pounces on him anyway. And the audience is just laughing. They love it. Just laughing. And I'm guessing it's, again, because what I said about her age and her physical, not being a physical threat, if this were a huge man on top of a woman who was saying, no, get off me, I don't approve of this, Oh, yeah, for sure. Not Absolutely. as funny. No, I feel like a stu- any studio audience would be more hesitant to laugh at that. If it, was a, if it was a woman, for sure. Having watched a ton of episodes of television, you and I, mm-hmm. it's not like a, it's not laughter. It's not specifically laughter like, what a funny situation. It's like, it's woo, woo, sexy. It is. It's, it's the similar so to troubling. anybody who finally kisses the will they, won't they person. Yeah. Or if somebody says something flirty in um, Saved by the Bell, it's that kind of woo. And that's, yeah. you know what? Problematic woos. Very problematic. And it's like, it's it, we don't care about Olivia. She's brand new. So it's got to be like, woo woo, Balky's getting some. Yeah. You know? And we, we know that he's a virgin. He doesn't want this. But now he's, he's wow, you know. He's finally getting getting some action, some hot action. Oh, God. The 80s were a troubling time. So strange. So then Larry comes back for his library card, which he's forgotten. And he immediately, he looks at Balky's face and because she's, Olivia's jumped off him. But yeah. Balky is kind of splayed out on the couch looking really unwell. And Larry says, what's going on here? And Balky shouts, are you blind? <laughs> which is pretty funny. So here's here's where it's like... All the subtlety is now gone. Like Olivia yeah. has has not been subtle at all, or or she's not good at this. Here's the thing, and I would argue up to this point, there's been sexual assault. Clearly, yeah, for sure, there's been sexual harassment, but there has not been anything that is uh, job threatening. She has not said. Yeah. At this point, he could be like, "Get out of here! Never touch me again." And she could be like, "See you around the office," which would be awkward. Yeah. But she hasn't threatened his but job isn't yet. Isn't that an understood part of a power dynamic, though? Not on television. It needs to be spoken. That's I, what I'm saying. Oh, We're I see leading what you're up saying. to okay, it. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we haven't you know solidified that this is a problem yet, which right. is again, it might just be an unwanted like a Steve Urkel chasing Laura, and she is not into it. And yeah. And that kind of a thing. Um, we haven't, Olivia has not played her power cards yet. Yeah. But we're getting there. Absolutely. So right in front of everybody, like Larry's standing right there and she's like, well, I better go, but you should meet me at Mickey's hideaway. We're a fuck you. Yeah. Which <laughs> is, is a, gonna fuck. a motel apparently in Chicago, I guess uh, so. which has 
water beds and mirrored ceilings mirrored ceilings and, and the movies he says yeah the movies you know you know the the you movies know. that sophia likes <laughs> Um, <laughs> Gentle cowboy music in the background. <laughs> Balky's like, I have to put an end to this now. Even, you know, like he says earlier, he said something about I don't want. No, he says right now, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but no forever. Yeah. Basically. It's like, I'm never going to meet you on any Tuesday forever and ever. And she says, all right, well, let me lay this out for you. I'm extremely powerful. And goodbye, Olivia means hello, unemployment. Yep. And Larry's jaw drops open and he says, you can't get away with this. And she says, you'd be surprised what I can get away with. And leaves the apartment. Mm-hmm. With her coat made of Dalmatians and her cigarette <laughs> right, and her on a filter. her long cigarette holder. So that was the inmost cave. And now we are getting to the supreme ordeal back at the office. Absolutely. So we understand the stakes. We yep. we get whatever. We beaten the audience over the head and said, this is an incorrect thing to be happening. Yeah. Please stop your woos. This is not a woo situation. We beg of you. You just need to switch that W to a B. It's a boo <laughs> situation. It's a boo situation. Then the next scene, we are back at the basement of the Chicago Chronicle. Yes, for the Supreme Ordeal. The Supreme Ordeal. Uh, Larry and Balky are commiserating over their their plan to report this sexual harassment. Larry's written a memo. Yeah, yeah. He's gone doing research. Full spotlight on uh, Olivia Campbell. (laughs) He's got sources. He's got receipts uh, from the motel. (laughs) They've named a room after her (laughs) there. Yeah. Which, sure. (laughs) It turns out three other dudes from the paper have lost their jobs because of Olivia. Yeah. So he's he's already filed this complaint with the head guy, the managing editor, and and now they're waiting to and see. And they're they're what nervous happens. about whether or not it will work out, which is fair, I guess. Yeah. Because you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, we it's it bears repeating. Olivia, it um we're not I'm not sure uh, on the ins and outs of uh, Balky's immigration status oh, here. That's, yes. But if he gets fired and and the Chicago Chronicle is his visa sponsor, mm-hmm. he could get deported. You know, it's not just it's not just his employment status, it's his immigration status that could be in danger here. Yeah, and I, I hate to admit how uneducated I am on the the saga of perfect strangers. Mm, mm. It's a George R. R. Martin kind of thing. It's a whole so world building thing. I'm like, dragons. oh, which was that guy? Oh yeah, Balky. Wait, who was that guy? Oh yeah, Larry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's not that confusing. Harriet. Harriet. <laughs> I seem to remember that his immigration status was brought up a lot. That's a mm. really easy go-to for like, you know, if this doesn't seem important enough, what about that immigration status? Right. And I feel like he becomes a naturalized citizen by the end of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets married by the end of it. Well, there you Weird go. By the end of That's it. That's the fast lane. Um, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think they do. He has to get his citizenship and then gets married. Oh. I feel like that's how you do that, right? I don't know. If you're a writer on the show. Right, right. No, no. If I'm Balky, I'm like, who will, will this who Olivia will Crawford marry lady yeah. marry me? <laughs> who will marry you? Who will marry Balky? Who will marry Balky? So Harriet Winslow opens <laughs> the elevator door. Again, uh, our uh, Olivia Campbell makes an entrance. She's plastered against the corner of the elevator. She's like dripping down the wall mm-hmm. of the elevator with the copy of the complaint in her outstretched hand. And Harriet gives a, Harriet gives a, look out, baby. Look out, baby. <laughs> um, Olivia... Is immediately snide and haughty about the complaint. Yeah. She's like, ha! She says, ha! And she rips it up and she throws it on Larry's desk and she's like, no one's going to believe you. Yeah. She uh, said to the whole, who would ever fuck a mailboy? Exactly. Legal she's defense. like, look at, look! She just like runs her hand up and down in look front at of him. him. As if I would stoop to this. Look at how he looks like he must smell. <laughs> 
No? So then the managing editor. Pretty insensitive. I, no, I thought that was I pretty mean, funny. I mean, he's pretty sexy. He's got sheep lifting muscles. He's sweaty from all the and, sheep lifting. And a haircut that hair. defies mm. description. Suspenders, suspenders, suspenders. Short sleeve dress shirts. Bests. So Balky and Larry and Olivia are in this little standoff in the basement. And then the managing editor ascends from on high, mm-hmm. literally walks down the stairs into the yes. fray. Deus he ex said, Bartokimus. <laughs> A god from Mepos. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> Deus ex Spartacus. So the manager editing, uh, the managing editor has the complaint in his hands. He said, I'm a newspaper man too. He's checked all the sources. He's been hearing rumi- uh, rumors about Olivia for years. Yeah, which for years. Way to act on those. Whoops. Uh, I've and- been meaning to do this, by the way. <laughs> Thank God someone finally wrote, just wrote this down and <sighs> provided me with receipts. Um, it's, it's appropriate that it's a memo. Right, exactly. You reminded just a memo. me. He gives Olivia the opportunity to resign. She doesn't take it, and so he fires her right there on the floor, and the audience goes nuts. Yeah, these the audience fucking... That- Flippity floppity yeah. bastards. Last scene, they were woohooing as she jumped on top of a man mm-hmm. who did not want to be jumped on top of. Yeah. And now they're like, yeah, fire her. Ah. It's like, pick, pick a side, guys. They are an angry mob. Pick a fucking they're side. They're like the mob that's been demanding we do perfect strangers for so long. <laughs> Clamoring. <laughs> do the perfect strangers. Um, they are, though. They are, they are a wishy washy mob. So wishy washy. So that's the, the Supreme Ordeal. And the very short reward and consequences is obviously the boys have won. Olivia has lost her job. And she says she's leaving town. And and Harriet will not let her back. She's yeah. got to climb at least a flight of stairs. Yeah, Harriet bars her from the elevator. She says with a certain level of sass, no way, baby. Employees only. Yeah, a final indignity. The managing editor compliments them. He says, weren't you afraid to get fired for bringing this complaint to me? And they say, no, we uh, we didn't want it. We figured we didn't want to work for a paper that wouldn't believe the truth or something about mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. And he says, I have Woodward and Bernstein in my basement. Not yeah. bad. Just Who as are- important as that fucking Balky gate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Woodward and Bernstein being the Watergate reporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted them to be like, yeah, if you didn't take us seriously, we were going to march this down to the Tribune and have them publish it as oh, a that been sweet. story. So it was going to work out for us either way. Yeah. Also, if somebody calls you Woodward and Bernstein, be like, could I write a fucking story then? <laughs> exactly. Can I get a byline? How about... Because Balky points out that now that Olivia's gone, uh, Larry does not get a byline in we this We take a solid Sunday moment magazine. where Larry remembers this and <laughs> yeah. you can see on his face... Should I have done this? He's like, oh, shit, I forgot about the B-plot. Oh, Oh, well, I guess it's too late now. Um, End of episode. Balky says, thanks for keeping me pure. Oh, right. That's the, I forgot. That's the final joke. He's basically like my, I thank you and the future love of woman of my dreams thanks you because she will get to have the wedding night that God intended with a man who has absolutely no idea what he's doing. End of episode. There we go. And that's the thing. And that's yeah. how the thing goes. Yeah. Yep. Balky, you so crazy. I think I want to have your baby after we're married. Way after. So in terms of holding these episodes up to a 2019 standard, which is what we, you know, like we say at the beginning of the podcast, what do they have to teach us today? Mm-hmm. If you want, if you we're in charge of HR. Uh-huh. And you were like, I'm listening. I got to show some um, sensitivity training videos yep. to my employees to teach them how to deal with workplace harassment. Yeah, absolutely. Would you Important show issue. this episode to no. your employees? Because I'm assuming if I was working in HR, I care about my job and wouldn't <laughs> want to just get straight up fucking fired. Right. I have worked in HR in Chicago in a building right down the block from this building. Yeah. So, okay. This, yeah, no, not at all. This, this... Doesn't hold up for a bunch of reasons. Mm. I'm going to point out once and then leave it behind. 
good go in this episode of TV for trying to address something that's, you know, at the time under addressed. Yes. And still currently under addressed. Yes. Bad on you episode for making it a laughing running joke yeah. for most of the episode until the very but, end. I mean, that's the episode of Different Strokes, the mm-hmm. infamous bike mm-hmm. man molestation episode. The reason that Rewatching again was so horrifying is that laugh track is off the rails. People are laughing at horrible things that a child molester is saying. So that's our bread and butter, honestly. But uh, so I can't, I can't, I can't fault the audience for just, you know, helping our podcast along. But yeah, it, what's problematic about trying to view this as a blueprint for male sexual harassment in the workplace is they, they do muddy it a little bit. Instead of making it a simple, like, he doesn't want to do this, that's the end of the discussion, I feel like they have to pile on a lot of stuff. They have to bring up his ideological ideological problem with having sex before marriage as a way to be like, he couldn't possibly want right, this. Right, because all men want sex all the time right. from anyone. Except for this guy who's saving himself from marriage. Right. That's something we and can all And also, understand. she's old. I think part yeah. of well, oh, the reason yeah. they made her that age is, again, to further... Like, who would want to have sex with a 60-something-year-old woman? You know, like, to drive that point home in a ham-fisted way. Yeah. That this is totally non-consensual. Yeah. Even though she's, like, gorgeous and very attractive. Yeah, one guy in the audience was really into her. Super. It was her husband she, like, brought to set. (laughs) It was... It was B. Arthur. It was B. Arthur. Like, (laughs) get it, girl. (laughs) Wear that pantsuit. Wear the shit out of that pantsuit. I did do a little bit of research on this. I will Mm. post the links. Obviously, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission reports that 17% of complaints about sexual misconduct and sexual harassment at work come from men. And it seems that that figure is increasing, Mm. probably because men are doing more reporting now, less because it's getting worse and probably more because people are feeling finally like they can come forward and, and report. Right. I found uh, an article on the ACLU.org, which talks about who is the highest risk of sexual harassment in the workplace. And definitely women are cited, women of color are cited, and immigrants Mm -hmm. are, because they they have so little recourse, um, especially people who are uh, illegal immigrants or people who who have uncertain citizenship status. That's something that's currently being used to, you know, help with gerrymandering Mm -hmm. is putting that question on On the the census census. because there is a powerlessness inherent in being in our society and not being completely legal. Yeah, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Why would I report this and have you come like investigate my life? And things are even now even more uncertain that even if you're naturalized, not naturalized, if if you've gained... Uh, citizenship, you still have to feel at risk. So Mm -hmm. that's not a problem that's going away. I feel like if they wanted to really drive this home instead of like, she's old, he has an ideological thing, they should just hit the immigration immigration thing Mm -hmm. real hard from the beginning. Like bring it up in the first act, how it's like, thank goodness I have this. I mean, it's the 80s. So you can just straight look at the camera and say, they... Thank goodness I have this job. Oh, no. Because it must be so... Bounky, why are you talking like that? Oh, my that? God. I will it's Tony Danza, Louis li- Anderson in Perfect Strangers. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, cut this out, Miles. Cut this out. That is solid gold. Trademark, trademark, trademark. TM, TM, TM. That's ours. Don't, nobody nobody use that. <laughs> it's a reboot. A reboot in the shape of Italy. <laughs> 
Um, nope. <laughs> yep. No. Um, so that's that's those are some of the problematic things. There's plenty more. Right. It's also this is a very clear case of this woman sexually desiring bulky. Like she mm. says, he's handsome. She blows on his neck weirdly. Mm. A lot of times when men experience sexual harassment in the workplace it's motivated by a desire to humiliate or assert power it's less about direct sexual conquest or pursuit which is why it can be a muddier thing to report or men may not even understand that that's what's going on be able to put that label on it because it's like well i'm straight and my male boss is straight or i'm gay and my female boss is straight like what is this sexual harassment if there's not ever going to be like a sexual consummation of you know what i mean like yeah so it's a bit murkier for men to report sometimes or even be able to label it themselves because it can be based on this this like power dynamic and humiliation motive and it's just problematic all the way through. And that, I think it says something. I'm not prepared mm-hmm. to talk about what exactly it right. says. But it says something that warning signs for men, the blowing on the neck, the full out assault. And to to another degree, like, I'm going to come to your house. Right. Like, my bosses, I don't want any of any them. Any of them. Come to Never have had one not that I would ever. Want that house. would make me so uncomfortable. No. Mm-hmm. Those are all, but but a lot of those are just like you know taken in part like meh. Yeah. Sure, that's gonna happen. Um, some of this, the findings that I found in my research indicate that men can view certain behaviors deemed as sexual harassment by women as less threatening or serious, and sometimes even flattering. Sure. So it's sort of like, is that is I'm, but I'm I. I don't know how to, I feel like women get a lot of training and like, this is the line, especially now in 2019, this is a line that does not get crossed. Like your mm. boss blows on the back of your neck and you're in HR immediately. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about the way that, that this lady's firing is handled. Yeah. It is a, that's my actually the biggest problem besides sure. the audience for me in this episode. Yeah. It just having worked in HR, the sort of unilateral, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for an abuser. She definitely deserved to be fired, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's a disservice to victims to make this sort of Deus ex portacamus thing happen, <laughs> yes. where the same day you report something, this heavily tenured employee that's the head of the Sunday magazine, you're immediately believed, and she's immediately marched out of the office. Like there's no investigation, yeah. H- no one from HR is present, no one from the legal department is present. Normally, a big part of reporting and getting justice for victims has to do with what happens after you report. It's the process. It's the, the process. Due process, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and you might feel like giving up. And so I, I just feel like I've Obviously, it's a 24 minute of television. Mm. But if I were to be working on a rewrite, yeah, I would be like, you need to show more about what happens after you report. I mean, if you want to fix this episode of television, which of course we all we do. don't have all day, we don't have all day. But you know, you put that last act. I obviously you want a big climactic moment, but you put it further in the future where it's like this has been going on for a while. A month We've, or something. Yeah, yeah, a month in the future where it's like if you want a big moment, she's coming to collect her shit, mm-hmm. and like there's a final confrontation after she's been fired, and you talk about the process. And another thing that this gets wrong, and and again, twenty four minutes of television is the Balky is just like, well, I guess that's over. I probably won't have any you know feelings about this. Exactly. Ever. I don't need counseling. I don't need this help. This is and and all right. So yeah, and and he says at some point it's a joke, but he's like. You know, I'm saving myself to be married to do things that you and I have already done. Mm 
Mm-hmm. That's going to be traumatic. Yeah, that's like, traumatic. In, in an abusive situation to, you know, get further sexually than he's ever been, he's going to need to sit down and talk to somebody. Yeah. One consistent finding across the evidence on male sexual harassment is that it has a detrimental impact on mental health. No mm. huge surprise there. Men who have been sexually harassed are more likely to experience high levels of anxiety, depression, and alcohol abuse, which can in turn lead to education and employment problems such as dropping out of school, quitting work, and low morale. In trying to find out statistics about this, I ended up on various different sites. And one of the ones that I landed on, which I felt was really good, I didn't have a ton of time, so I'm sorry if it's like accidentally a cult or something. Uh, Livingwell.org, which is an Australian website. It could be. But, you know, I joined and oh, sure. I have these and nice new I have new this literature ropes. for you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Listener. Uh, livingwell.org is a... Uh, .org. Yeah, uh, don't, go, don't go to .com, guys. It's yeah. about fitness. Oh, yeah. .org, and no, I think it might be... We do not endorse fitness. They have an initiative called No Straight Lines, which the idea behind their No Straight Lines, it's a part community outreach, part art project where people who have been through abusive uh, situations, specifically concentrating on men, going through these situations, they figure that people's experiences when compiled can form a, a basic roadmap through certain situations. If you've been abused, if you are having trouble with substance abuse or alcoholism, you know, if you're afraid or if you've victimized or if you feel angry and aggressive yourself dealing with issues of masculinity, the input from people who have been through those situations and people who are going through those situations when put together can provide a kind of roadmap through that situation. Here's what you can expect. Here's where you can get some relief in these times. You know, here's a normalization of what you're feeling. And I bring all that up because this is uh, on our big spreadsheet. This is one of two episodes that deal with male sexual harassment. That's a subject that isn't just completely ignored. It's muddy, but we we look into it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's definitely something that's being given attention. And I think that the importance in that isn't just to make it like, hey, don't, don't forget about guys in this whole abuse thing. I think that it goes further than that in providing enough information to help men specifically who some of which because they are abused or because they are hurt in some way will go on to propagate that as a result you know it's the cycle of abuse which continues Mm -hmm. from one abuser to another victim and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth and i think understanding what's at the center of that and understanding that you're not alone and you can discuss abuse and you can find help and there are other people who have experienced it can help sort of pick apart that systematic abuse from one victim to the next victim. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why that's, while this episode is a bit misguided, you got to give them credit for at least broaching this subject. Yeah, for sure. Research has shown, and the Me Too movement that we're all living in, the Me Too moment has Mm -hmm. highlighted that men have a tendency to tolerate the sexual harassment of women by other men. So you're in a workplace, a woman's being sexually harassed, Women will speak up faster than men will for other women. However, evidence has emerged recently to suggest that women may also share 
uh, the same sexist attitudes when it comes to tolerating the sexual harassment of men. Mm. So you see a man being sexually harassed in your workplace and men and women are the same amount of likely to speak up or intervene about that. Women maybe just figure like, oh, that can't be sexual harassment because the power is different. Sure. Or, oh, maybe he can handle it himself. He doesn't need me to step in. You know, says it in this. You can take care of yourself, yeah. Balky, whether the, the context is something that's like you can you know what fucking is right, Balky, right. or you can you can spurn any advance. You're a dude. Yeah. So Either I think way, uh, I think we all can do. I mean, you and I don't work in corporate America at the moment, but I think we can all do uh, a better job of looking out for each other. Yeah. You know, male, woman, anywhere else on the spectrum. And just making sure everybody's treated with respect and, and allowed to have bodily autonomy in the workplace. Yes, you can lift sheep and stay a virgin. Yeah, without <laughs> some anyone blowing Those on your neck. Should, as always, go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So that's how we feel about this episode in 2019 terms. What, Chelsea, do you feel like you learned from this episode? I didn't realize until I did this research that women tolerate the sexual harassment of men by other men in the workplace as the same rate as men do, uh, which to me is uh, very troubling and also embarrassing just on behalf of women. So I feel like there is this, well, I'm a victim, so you can't be a victim to victim counter victim blaming thing. Mm. That is, I mean, it's easy to pick apart academically when you think you're in the moral right. Yeah. And it's harder to say like, oh shit, my people are, part of this and my people are part of the problem i don't know that perfect strangers pointed that out to me but this research that i did did and so i'm grateful for that i learned what the near north side is Mm. and how close you and i once lived (laughs) to the fucking applegate bartokamus apartment building which they could not have afforded no uh moreover though i learned just in exploring this the the no straight lines initiative the the episode in general it's always been difficult i think uh, as a man to discuss these issues and it's also difficult as a man to stand up for yourself in these issues and hear me out just because you want to be supportive of an overarching problem in society, mm-hmm. which is victimization by the powerful against the less powerful. And oftentimes that manifests in men being more powerful than women. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to feel like you're trying to be heard without sounding like you're trying to be competitive. Or like I'm stealing the spotlight yeah. from other victims. And I think that what this this taught me and the research taught me is that there is a middle ground, especially for people, victims who feel victimized by the Me Too movement. I think that instead of trying to look at the... Your, wait, I'm sorry, wait. Victims who feel victimized by the Me Too movement. Let me try that again. Like Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> All right. No, definitely going to clarify. Yeah. For people who feel as though the way that they were victimized is not being spotlighted. Or they're like left out of the Me Too yeah, movement. Basically, mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard thing to explain without being like, it just feels inherently like, so pay attention to me though. What about me and my problems? It's... Mm-hmm. It's difficult to approach that idea without feeling like you're trying to overshadow people who have been voiceless for so long. And I think that a better way to look at it instead of like, hey, remember that I had problems too, 
is instead to understand that in essence, everybody's part of the Me Too movement, men, women, everyone, mm-hmm. and every spectrum of every power dynamic ever is trying to fix it, mm-hmm. is trying to make life better for everyone involved. Right. Um, because, you know, as much as I don't want to be a victim, I it would break my heart even more to be uh, someone who is an abuser, unwittingly, right. Right. somebody who's, uh, you know, prop- perpetuating that system. Right. Which hurt us all. You know, Absolutely. like we're all fighting the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you want to hug? Me. Yeah, me too. I, let's hug, just hug each other. Yeah, let's make I wanted this to hug you, Chelsea, because well, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, and I feel like we are trying to put a lot of meaning and a lot of 2019 on an episode of television that is not built to take it. Yeah, um, but that's what it, we do here. It so. does not. It crumbles over it really basic crumbles. viewing. Wow. So that was our first Perfect Strangers episode. Yeah, man. Certainly not the last. <laughs> We've got a lot Perfect to say. Perfect Strangers needs us. <laughs> they need our caring hand yep. to uh, shepherd them. Oh, shepherd them mm-hmm. into relevance. Sheeplift them into relevance. Again, if you're not following us on Instagram or on Facebook, check those out. You'll be able to see what our snacks look like, as well as get some basic information here and there. Yeah, and you'll be able to find out what episode we're watching before we watch it. If you, because I, I post those on Wednesday, what we're watching oh. that coming Friday. So if you wanted to watch it in advance of the podcast coming out, you find that information on Instagram and on our website, huggingandlearning.com. And quick update, from now on, you'll find that on Facebook, because that's <laughs> a really good idea. Who's in charge of that Facebook page? <laughs> Get know. on the ball. It's the dog. I'm sorry, guys. I'll take that fall. <laughs> for you, Andy. Miles. Moron. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, join us next time when we introduce our, our new sound engineer. Boudan um, the dog. Boudan the dog. <laughs> Bring snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!